TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this late Thursday afternoon, the 12th of November. This is Scoop Podcast Episode 321. Lots of questions on social media. Will the Wolves move down? Will they move up? All scenarios are in play. The sense is that the best trade offers they get won't come in until Monday, maybe Tuesday, even Wednesday morning. That the best offers have not come in to date. But yeah, could they move up from 17? Absolutely. Have they shopped Jarrett Culver around? They have. Not only to Atlanta, to other teams as well. Does that point to them possibly having interest in Obi Toppin, Tyrese Halliburton, Isaac Okoro, Kira Lewis Jr., somebody else? Maybe. They've worked out those four. We know they've worked out LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, but they've also worked out Toppin, Halliburton, Okoro, and Lewis Jr. Presumably all four are off the board by 17. So if the Wolves have locked in on one of those four, they would have to move up from 17. So they are entertaining the thought of moving up. It reminds me of last year they tried to get another high pick. They loved Alexander Walker, who ended up in New Orleans. They liked Dumboya, who ended up in Detroit. They had dialogue with Charlotte. Some other teams just couldn't acquire another pick but this front office is going to be uber aggressive will they stay at one will they move down to one I still think Charlotte at three is an interesting team to keep an eye on heck Chicago at four Chicago's new president of operations worked with Rosas in Houston there is a connection there so don't sleep on Chicago even though I'll continue to think that Charlotte is the most logical trade partner if moving off of one. But could the Wolves stay at one, take somebody at one? Absolutely. I do think it's noteworthy that the Wolves flew back to Southern California. So they were in Southern California a couple weeks ago. They fly back to Southern California to put LaMelo Ball through a workout on Wednesday. He was shooting against air, right? Nobody was defending him. So you're not going to put a whole lot of stock in the the chatter that, that he shot the ball well. It doesn't really matter. I will say this much, though, the fact that they went out there, the fact that they have the full medical book on him, that stuff is noteworthy. I'm told his growth plates are still open, so he measured in at 6'6", that he'll likely grow at least another couple inches, probably not beyond that, but he likely will be at 6'8". When thinking about the possibility of selling tickets, now who knows what the landscape will look like when it comes to the pandemic, but the possibility of selling tickets, does LaMelo Ball move the needle more so than others? I would argue yes. So when thinking about marketing opportunities, I'm not quite sure Anthony Edwards moves the needle. I don't think anybody else moves the needle, but LaMelo Ball could potentially sell a few tickets. That's another angle to keep in mind. Would I be shocked if they end up with LaMelo Ball? I would not, but then again, I would not be shocked if they end up with Anthony Edwards. Quite frankly, I don't know how they have their board stacked. I talk to people in other organizations. Some think they will go ball. Some think they will go Edwards. Many say they personally would go Edwards, that they don't like the idea of Russell and Ball coexisting. I will say this much. If I were Saunders, if I were Rosas, I would bounce the idea of bringing LaMelo Ball in off of D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, he played well off the ball in Brooklyn for stretches, but did you really bring him in to play him off the ball? Now, if he says, hey, sign me up, LaMelo Ball is the best talent in this draft, it's the best asset, you need to take LaMelo Ball, sure. 
you know, go for it. But if Russell had any trepidation, apprehension, I would pause if I were Rosas and Saunders. But make no mistake, I would not be shocked if LaMelo Ball ends up here. I would be surprised if James Wiseman ends up here. I don't have a sense that the Wolves have the full medical book on him. I don't have a sense that the Wolves got the face time that they were desiring with him. I do sense that his camp much prefers another destination, another location. So I would be surprised if the Wolves went the James Wiseman direction, even though I've made it clear on this podcast how big a fan of Wiseman that I am. The Wolves had trade interest in Aaron Gordon of Orlando back in February. My sense is that has not changed. They have, my understanding is, kicked the tires on Drew Holiday. The issue there is he's a bit older. He can opt out after next season. All signs point to him opting out after next season. So many teams will have cap space one year from now. So would you be guaranteed Drew Holiday for more than one season? That's a slippery slope. So, yeah, the Wolves can explore that possibility, but I don't know in the end if I see Holiday ending up here, even though I think he would be a phenomenal fit. I think he would play great off the ball next to D'Angelo Russell. On Russell Westbrook, I've gotten a couple questions. I don't see it. I don't have a sense the Wolves will be in on the Westbrook sweepstakes. I'll add, while Atlanta offers intrigue, certainly Charlotte and Chicago, I laid those teams out. Don't sleep on San Antonio and Oklahoma City. I do think those two franchises offer some trade intrigue. A lot of league people think San Antonio is up to something. What exactly that is? Does it involve Minnesota? That I don't know, but they do have some intriguing young players. Murray, White, you know, are they looking to move up potentially? Just keep an eye on the Spurs. Maybe not necessarily with the Wolves, but keep an eye on the Spurs doing something next week. A few other notes before we get to some conversations. The Twins attended the recent showcase for free agent pitcher Aaron Sanchez. He's represented by Scott Boros. I saw the note. I think it was Ken Rosenthal. It was one of the national writers suggesting that they believe the Twins will be aggressive in free agency. Maybe they will. It's still early, but taking the temperature of some agents, they haven't been all that aggressive so far. It sounds like other organizations have been much more aggressive, but I know the Twins have reached out on Corey Kluber, on Charlie Morton. They have interest in retaining a number of their own free agents, but it just it sounds like with a lot of guys, the aggression isn't just there quite yet. I think it will get there. I think the Twins have some payroll flexibility, but I'm just passing along what I'm hearing, that as of now, again, it's early, but as of now, there is no sense that the Twins are being aggressive like some national talking heads have suggested. Gophers-Hawkeyes tomorrow night, TCF Bank Stadium. Fifteen NFL teams will have a scout at the game. I have the full list. Let me pull out my phone. I know the Vikings are one. The Packers are another. Let me get the full list. Here it is right here. Thank you as I'm trying to multitask. Ravens, Bills, Bears, Browns, Lions, Texans, Colts, Jags, Chiefs, Raiders, the aforementioned Vikings, 49ers, Seahawks, Buccaneers, and the aforementioned Green Bay Packers. Many, many scouts will be at TCF Bank Stadium on Friday night. All right, where to begin conversation-wise? Ooh, geez. You know, let's do this. It's a brief conversation, but I had a chance to talk one-on-one with Isaac Okoro, SEC player, Auburn, had a great freshman year for the Tigers. He is a phenomenal defender. He had a good workout, a good visit with the Wolves a couple weeks ago in Alabama on the Auburn campus. So it's clear the Wolves have a good amount of interest in Okoro. Yeah, I was able to secure him for a quick one-on-one Earlier this week, here's my brief conversation with Isaac Okoro. 
Isaac, from all indications, I cover the Timberwolves. So from all indications, the Timberwolves, the team I cover, are very open-minded to many possibilities with that number one pick. Those possibilities, Isaac, include you. What would it mean to you to come here to Minnesota to potentially be the number one pick? I mean, I mean, everything. I mean, just starting from a young age, just being here, being in this position to be a number one pick is just also just, just a blessing. So just being able to possibly be chosen by them would just be truly a blessing. Speak of, of your character. I was actually just texting with a friend of mine that, that works for a different organization that, that actually connected with you in the last few weeks. I don't need to mention who it was, but he told me your character is impeccable. Your work ethic is impeccable. Can you just expound on that? What sort of character and what sort of work ethic you would bring if you end up here in Minnesota? Uh, I would just bring a, just a, a hard work ethic, uh, just being in the gym early mornings, late nights, and just having the character to just, to just uh, be with the teammates, you know, have a friendly face and just get to know everybody on the team and just build a team chemistry from day one. Describe the kind of player you are. I mean, you're a two-way player. You excel as much on defense as you do on offense. But but for those of us who don't follow a lot of the SEC, at least, you know, religiously, describe the kind of player you are. Um, I'm just a defensive player. Like you said, just a two-way player that's willing to do anything to help a team win. I'm mostly just a winner, honestly. Um, I'm willing to, I'm a guy that can switch off from one to four and also go on the other side of the end of the court and just abuse people on mismatches and also just play making and do anything to help my team win. Is it easy or is it hard to think about the possibility of teaming up with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns? So the Wolves have their one, they have their five, they could use a dynamic wing. Have you thought about that possibility of slotting between those guys? Yeah, I've thought about the possibility. I mean, being able to play with those two all-stars, just coming in and just learning from them, I feel like it would be great for my game and also their game and just to help me uh, benefit me in the future. How were your interactions with the Timberwolves? Uh, they was great. Uh, we had a nice long conversation and I feel like they got to know me, you know, as a person and as a player at the end of the day. And I feel like I had a great workout in front of them. And I mean, you feel like, you know, on the court and off the court, as you know, Isaac, it snows a lot here. I can show you right now out my window. There's snow here on, on whatever today is November 11th. I mean, you're okay. If, if, if it's snowing, you're okay coming up here to Minnesota. I'm okay with playing basketball for Minnesota. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm up there for, just to, is to win. Anything else that, that we should know, Isaac, as, as we tell your story up here in Minnesota? Anything the Timberwolves fans should know about you? Uh, just that I'm a winner, you know. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do anything to help the team win. So I'm possibly chosen by the Minnesota Timberwolves and come up there to try to win games. Isaac, thank you so much. Tell Omar thank you, and hopefully we can do this Many more times in the future. Hopefully you do end up here in Minnesota. All right. Thank you. Isaac Okoro. Now, my sense is the Wolves are not taking him at one, but it's a name to keep an eye on if the Wolves move down from one or move up from 17. I forgot to mention in the opening notes section of this podcast, the Wolves have talked to sports science guru Arnie Kander. He was here in 15. He is close to Carl Anthony Towns. He is close to Ryan Saunders, a longtime Pistons strength coach. He lives in Colorado. He loves his life out there. He's got some other projects he's involved with with the NBA. So no guarantee that Arnie takes the Wolves up on on an opportunity, but there has been dialogue between Kander and Gerson Rosas and others with the Wolves. I know he is highly, highly respected by many at Mayo Clinic Square 
and across the league. He was beloved when he was here for the 15-16 season. Also on the ownership front, I hear it's inching closer to, to finality, to some sort of at least verbal agreement or signed agreement that it's down to two groups. I would not be shocked if if we have news before the first of the year. So it still could be another four, five, six weeks, but I would not be shocked if something happens before January 1st. To me, the question is how much ownership will Glenn Taylor retain? I heard in one scenario, he would retain as much as 40%. Maybe it's 20%. Maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's 5%. Maybe it's 0%. But the sense is that Glenn Taylor is moving closer, inching closer to completing a transaction selling the Wolves and Lynx. All right, let's now transition to former Suns general manager, Ryan McDonough, Ryan, two years ago, it really wasn't that long ago, although it seems like forever ago, but two years ago, Ryan had the first pick. He had the first pick with the Phoenix Suns. He took DeAndre Ayton, the big man, out of Arizona. So he knows exactly the position that Rosas is in. He's very close with Gerson Rosas. So it was nice to catch up this week with Ryan McDonough. Ryan, I'm sure it feels like forever ago because this year in particular, 2020, just seems like it keeps going and going and going. But it really wasn't that long ago, two years ago, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, 2018, where you were in the same spot that Gerson Rosas is in. So you're running Phoenix. You had the number one pick. So just take us through what Gerson, his staff are are dealing with right now, just days ahead of, of making that number one selection. Yeah, Darren, it's great to be with you once again. Um, when we had the number one pick in Phoenix in 2018, it was a different scenario just because I feel like everything happened so fast, you know, from the lottery uh, to the pre-draft workout process. Um, as, as you know, in Minnesota, anytime you do have the number one pick as a franchise, obviously the Timberwolves have had it uh, in the past. They have it again this year. It comes with a heightened amount of uh, intensity, scrutiny, especially from a national perspective, um, because you control the draft. And so uh, I know Gershon Rosas well. In fact, I was up visiting him and his staff in mid-January uh, this year, which seems like a lifetime ago now, uh, you know, before the pandemic shut the league down in mid-March. So I know those guys are diligent. Um, they've had a ton of time to work on not only who they're going to pick, uh, Darren, as far as evaluating players uh, on film, on Zoom interviews like the one we're doing now, uh, or even recently the league has lifted their restrictions so they can work players out in person. Uh, they have to travel to do that, but I, I think Minnesota has done that. Um, so those are the challenges of it. But more than anything, as you know, when you have the number one pick, you control it, uh, meaning you control, you know, theoretically who your team picks, but you also control uh, potential trade talk as well. And I'm not surprised at all to see uh, that the Timberwolves have been involved uh, in some trade discussions, Darren, because in this draft, there is no sure fire number one pick, I think it's pretty open at the top. And so I, I think we'll be on the edge of our seats up until draft day, which is only a week away at this point, seeing which direction Minnesota goes in. Do they keep the pick or do they put it in play in a trade scenario? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, Ryan, that is the difference. Like, you know, your year, you were able to lock in on a clear-cut number one guy, right, in Aiton. But you're right, there is no clear-cut number one guy. It's pretty obvious that Gerson and his staff are having all sorts of trade dialogue. Is it normal that that the best offers like I'm sure I'm sure they've gotten offers at this point, but is it typical that maybe the best offers don't come in until like in this case, would it be like Monday, maybe Tuesday or even next Wednesday morning? That's usually the way it works, Darren. You know, in a negotiation, when you're up against a deadline, the offers get better, right? So now there's no deadline. There's no pressure. Um, what the league does is 
the day of the draft in the afternoon, they'll lock the draft order. So you can't flip slots at that point. You know, they, they couldn't do a trade an hour or so before the draft um, and, 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 you know, trade with another team and have that team actually draft number one. Uh, but the easy workaround there, Darren, is for the Timberwolves, if they do agree on a deal, um, you know, they could tra- tra- draft a player and then trade the rights, you know, uh, during or after the draft. That, that's easy to do. So um, there's a lot of intrigue there. But yeah, to your point, I think the Timberwolves haven't gotten their best offers yet. Um, I know they've had a lot of conversations. You know, obviously, I think it's pretty clear the direction they're going in, Darren. They're trying to be aggressive. They're not trying to wait, uh, which I think makes it more likely that the pick is in play in this year's draft. They were aggressive last year, uh, first pursuing D'Angelo Russell, and then when they didn't get him, when they ended up in Golden State trading for D'Angelo Russell, as you and your listeners in Minnesota know, um, by virtue of doing that deal, they also traded away next year's first-round pick uh, that is lightly protected. It's only top three protected. So that means I think they're likely to continue to be aggressive. Uh, They have Towns, they have Russell, and I I, I know they'd love to use that pick if they can to get a third star to go with those two core guys. Ryan, on that aggressiveness, do you think it's it's a big deal for the Wolves to pursue a 2021 first-round pick? So let's say they move from one to three or one to four or one to six or one to wherever. If they're moving down from one, should part of the package that comes back here be and maybe it's got some protection, but like just the vibe is, I don't know how much you know about next year's draft, but the vibe is next year's draft is going to be incredible, that there are going to be so many good players. And you're right, in all likelihood, I mean, the Wolves could stink and it's top three protected. So in all likelihood, you know, you'd have to get lucky on lottery night. So in all likelihood, Golden State is going to have the Wolves pick next year. So I'm just curious from your standpoint, do you think it's important for the Wolves to pursue a first round pick in any transaction for next year? I think it depends on the team they're talking to, Darren, and how they think that team's going to do next season. And what I mean by that is the difference between whoever you think the best teams in the league are going to be next year, let's say the Lakers and the Bucks, uh, maybe the Clippers, you know, those picks aren't as valuable because we can probably pencil those in, uh, barring a catastrophe with those teams in the 25 to 30 range, the back end of the first round. Uh, But if you're talking to Charlotte or Cleveland or somebody like that, who's itching to get up uh, to that number one slot and you don't have to drop down as far, Darren, and you you can get a future first uh, to offset to some extent the pick you traded out last year, then that, that's intriguing, right? It, so it all depends on the team. Uh, but I think the overarching goal uh, for Minnesota is to continue to improve the team in the short term. Obviously, they'll do it within reason. They won't be reckless about it. But, uh, you know, keep in mind, in addition to the deal they made for Russell last year, they also made the big deal uh, with Denver to bring in uh, Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez. So, um, you know, they're going for it, Darren. I, I think uh, I know Gershon Rosas and his crew are very sharp in the front office of Minnesota. So I I like teams that are clear directionally. So what I mean by that is I think they have been aggressive. I think they will continue to be aggressive, but that doesn't mean you do a bad deal. You know, if there's no deal there for a good enough player um, with the number one, trading the number one pick or dropping down from number one, you take it and then try to develop that player. If the guy's really good and, and you want to trade him for a star later, you can always do that as well. But I think they've signaled their direction. Uh, it, it's to go for it, it's to be aggressive. And I continue to, to you know, hear them uh, in trade talks. And I think we will continue to hear their name in trade talks over the next week leading right up until the draft. Ryan, on that aggressiveness, I mean, how do you look at the situation here? I mean, Carl has, has four years left on his deal. D'Angelo's got multiple years left. But like we saw it in New Orleans with Anthony Davis, any number of other superstars in smaller tight markets where – you almost need to show some progress pretty immediately, right? Or, you know, there's a decent chance that player is going to ask out. So I'm wondering if if the Wolves window, at least to show some sort of progress, is more like two years, not the four years left on, on Towns' contract. 
Recently in the NBA, that's how it's worked, Darren. Guys, when they approach the last year or two of their deal, uh, if they're unhappy, they ask for a trade then. Um, because, you know, look at it from a leverage perspective. Uh, if Carl Anthony Towns asks for a trade now, as you mentioned, he has four years left, um, so he doesn't have any leverage. He can't, you know, he's, he's, he's got four years under contract. The Timberwolves don't have to trade him. Uh, he's basically on the exact same contract that we signed Devin Booker to. It's one of my last acts as GM of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, as you know, those two guys are good friends from the same uh, school at Kentucky. They went to the final four and were undefeated uh, before they lost to Wisconsin and then uh, you know both all-stars now in Minnesota and Phoenix respectively so um, I understand what you're saying about uh, when you look at guys you know like uh, Kyrie Irving uh, the situation with Cleveland Kawhi Leonard and then Anthony Davis uh, who you mentioned in New Orleans they have done that but that's closer to the end of their deal uh, so I, I think the Timberwolves still have a few more years to get get it right. Now, at the same time, Darren, uh, you know Towns' history with the organization. He was drafted uh, as the number one pick in 2015. He's had a lot of individual success. He's put up phenomenal numbers, especially on the offensive end. But the team hasn't won a whole lot other than the one year, a few years back when they made the playoffs, uh, when he had Tom Thibodeau on the sideline and Jimmy Butler as his teammate. So um, he's experienced some winning, but but not as much as he would like. And so that does uh, lead to some short-term pressure because if, if they do win, and then you have Towns and Russell and other guys contributing to winning, then they have a chance to really build something, but uh, they don't have unlimited time to do that. Yes, Towns does have four years left in his contract, Darren, but he's entering year six of his NBA career. And he's only been in the playoff one time, which, which means he's getting antsy and wants to return the team to that playoff level. On Booker, Ryan, as you can probably imagine, it still might be the most popular question I get on social media. Hey, can the Wolves trade for, for Devin Booker? My response to that is, it's just not realistic right now. Why would Phoenix trade Booker, especially after the way he played and the team played in the bubble? Like, to me, 0%. Now, maybe that changes sometime next year, maybe in two years. But right now, my, my message to Wolves fans is, like, it's not happening. It's, it's a pipe dream. Would, would you agree with that, that, that Phoenix is not trading Devin Booker? Yeah, I, I think there's a 0% chance uh, they trade him, Darren. Now, keep in mind, I haven't been with the team in a few years now. But um, look, let, let, let me say it this way, and I try to look at it objectively, especially when it comes to Devin, who we drafted and then signed to the big contract extension when I was GM of the Suns. Um, and same, same, same with Towns. You could draft anybody in this year's draft, yeah, all 60 picks, and there's a chance, Darren, that not one of those guys is as good as Carl Anthony Towns or Devin Booker. I mean, given what Towns and Booker have done, you know, early in their careers, so that's what it is. I mean, that's and, and then from Phoenix's perspective, if you're in the Suns front office or ownership, you say, well. Even if we draft somebody, they may not be number one. They may not be as good as Booker. And then if they are as good as Booker, that could take four or five years, you know, like it has for Devin and Carl to become the players they've become. So that, that's why Phoenix won't do it. I, I you know, I, again, I don't work for the team anymore, but I'm fairly certain they won't do it. And that, that's why I think the Timberwolves fans should feel good about, at least in the short term, about Towns being in Minnesota. And that's another reason why the Timberwolves continue to be aggressive. Uh, they'd love to get a Devin Booker. They can't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they'll kick the tires on a Bradley Beal or somebody like that. Uh, maybe a Drew holiday they'll continue to explore trades uh with and without the number one pick to see how they can upgrade their team in the short term without being reckless and jeopardize what they're trying to do going forward on drew holiday ryan i think he would be an unbelievable fit i think he's as comfortable if not more comfortable off the ball so he could easily coexist with d'angelo russell but he's only got the one year left on his deal where, where he's got the opt-out power right so i don't know if he'd want to be here in minnesota long term but just looking at next year if the Wolves can get their hands on Drew Holiday, to me, that would be an unbelievable move. If they compare him with Russell and Towns, use the other assets they have, pick one, pick 17, Jericho, or whatever it would take to pry Drew out of New Orleans. If the Wolves can do that, I would be all over that move. 
That would certainly help their team, and that would make them a legitimate playoff contender next year uh, with a core led by Towns, Russell, and Holiday. Um, one thing to keep an eye on there, Darren, uh, that, that in, it gives a, a little bit of insurance to the Timberwolves. Um, as you mentioned, the number one pick would probably have to be in that deal, and it's risky from Minnesota's perspective, given that Drew Holiday has a player option after next season, so he could walk in the summer of 2021. But one way to hedge that risk a little bit, Darren, would be to ask, if you're Minnesota and Gershon Rosas in the front office, to ask New Orleans for the 13th pick back in return so so we'll, we'll give you one and J James Johnson's contract I think would have to be in it to make the money work uh, maybe another small contract or two with salary filler to make the numbers work uh, but we'll give you one uh, plus you know say James Johnson and, and some other small contract uh, for Drew Holiday and 13 so you move up from 13 to one from the bottom uh, to the second to last pick in the lottery to the top of the lottery um, but but you still get a young player if you're Minnesota I think if you're Gershon Rosas and Ryan Saunders and you're not enamored with anybody at one Darren then, then that is a worth wild conversation you say we get the best player holiday helps us in the short term uh, but even if holiday walks uh you know if, if you're not certain that the guy whoever you take at one is going to be that much better than who you think is going to be there at 13 that may be a worthwhile gamble to take if you're the minnesota timberwolves ryan how important are are having a player's medical record specifically with the wolves and james wiseman my understanding is they've tried to get some face time with james they're trying to do all the due diligence they can on wiseman even though i think stylistically now, I would actually take him number one, but I think stylistically the way Gerson and Ryan Saunders want to play, they're not going that direction, but they want to do their homework. But as far as I can tell, they're not getting that FaceTime with Wiseman. I don't think they're getting his medical record. So how big a deal would it be to have a player, I guess in this case, Wiseman's medical records? It's significant, Darren, and that's a major flaw in the NBA's pre-draft process. Uh, and this impacts not only the Timberwolves, obviously, in this specific situation. It does impact Minnesota, but it impacts all 30 teams at different times. And uh, that, that's one thing I, I stood on the soapbox uh, and, and shouted about when I was GM of the Phoenix Suns or in the Celtics front office, that why in the world don't teams have access to every player's medical records? They should be evenly distributed uh, because now the game, which you mentioned, is agents play keep away. If, if um, the agents for James Wiseman, who I, I believe or Jeff Schwartz and the guys with Excel look at the Timberwolves roster and say, well, they have Carl Anthony Towns. He's their center. Wiseman's a center. We don't want him to go there. They can play keep away, and that is allowed. And it shouldn't be allowed, but it is. So it is a challenge. Um, what I'm sure Minnesota has tried to do, uh, I don't know, you know how much or how little success they've had, is to try to get as much information about Wiseman's medical without the physical. So, you know, can you talk to the trainer or the team doctor at Memphis? Can you talk to the guys who were around Wiseman in high school or AU? Can you talk to his teammates even, uh, Pressure? Sachua, who's in this draft as well, and other guys say, hey, you know, did he practice? Did he play? Was he uh, icing anything? Were there any medical concerns? So you can try to piecemeal it together, um, Darren, but as you can imagine, especially when you have the number one pick in the draft and Glenn Taylor, the owner, is in the room on draft night and looks at you and says, are you sure this guy's healthy? Uh, the answer, unfortunately, can't be, I don't know. And uh, that is, to some extent, the position the Timberwolves may find themselves in if they're unable to gather enough good medical information on James Wiseman. Now, the good news, Darren, is as far as I I know and keep in mind I, I don't do nearly as much digging on this stuff as I've done you know in the past when I was with the Celtics and Suns obviously that was my job for 15 plus years um, but but I, I don't know of any medical red flags uh, with Wiseman or the other top players in this draft uh, I'll keep asking around keep trying to find that out uh, but but it's not like you know Wiseman in particular has had a debilitating injury or something in the past that would lead you to believe he has issues but that just a little bit of doubt uh, you, see, you saw him play a limited number of games in Memphis and as an executive you say boy I, I think this guy's probably okay but as you can imagine that's what keeps GMs and presidents up at night when you're not sure and you have to make a big decision a week from tonight how much homework have you done on Lamelo ball 
and Anthony Edwards, you know, if the Wolves end up staying at one, you know, I think there's maybe a decent chance they end up selecting one of those two. And, okay, so you bring in Russell. Now, Russell played off the ball some in Brooklyn and played at a high level off the ball. And he can he can play off the ball, Ryan. But do you bring D'Angelo in to then move him off the ball? Like, what I'm getting at is, can LaMelo Ball and D'Angelo Russell coexist? Well, I think that would be a phenomenal offensive team, Darren. Uh, they have shooting, they have playmaking, they have creativity, they have a lot of firepower. Uh, I think they'd be an awful defensive team with those three. That, that's the challenge. And so they'd really need to, at the other two positions, uh, you know, probably the two forward positions between Towns in the front court and then Russell and Ball in the back court, they'd need some elite defenders to try to make up for some of the weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I think the thought process there, Darren, if you're going to go that direction is, we are going to try to be the best offensive team in the league, and we're going to try to be league average defensively. Think, think back to the uh, Phoenix Suns led by Mike D'Antoni when they had Steve Nash and Maurice Stoudemire and you, you know, just shot the lights out and just tried to be adequate defensively because they were so good offensively. That is the model and the blueprint. Um, so I, I have questions, though, about with Russell uh, and Ball together. But Ball is a gifted offensive player. Uh, he can dribble. He can pass. He can allegedly shoot, Darren. I have some questions about the shooting, watching the film in, in his style. But he does have very good range. And, and people who know him say he's a pretty good shooter. His, his numbers in Australia don't really reflect that. But anyways, so if you have Russell and Ball in your starting backcourt, who guards the other best uh, the backcourt player who's the best on the other team. That, that's the, the challenge I have. You can't hide both of those guys. You know, you can hide one defensively, Darren, for the most part, but you can't hide two. And then if you play a team like Houston, well, they have Russell Westbrook and James Harden. So, you know, you could be at a disadvantage there. So I bring it up um, because saying, at least theoretically, the best fit on paper of the three guys we've discussed, Wiseman, Ball, and Edwards, is Anthony Edwards, the shooting guard uh, from Georgia. He plays off the ball. Uh, he's strong. He's physical. Hey, he's a good athlete. There are some concerns there, uh, you know, about you know his, his consistency, uh, his habits. But he does have a lot of talent, Darren, and, and he's more of a traditional shooting guard. So that's the most appealing fit on paper. However, if you're Gershon Rosas in the front office, you do have to draft whoever you think is the best player. And to put it succinctly, if you think Lamelo Ball is going to be better than D'Angelo Russell, then you should take Lamelo Ball and figure out what to do with Russell going forward. Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer is a good guy. He's got a report today, Ryan, about the Wolves and the Hawks talking where, where the Wolves are, are dangling 17. They also have picked 17 and 33, dangling 17 and Jarek Culver to try to get up to six. If you're the Wolves, do you like that? If you're Atlanta, do you like that? The Wolves have worked out, Ryan, Obi Toppin. They've worked out Tyrese Halliburton, Kira Lewis Jr., Isaac Okoro. I think all four of those guys are off the board by 17. So if you like one of those four, or maybe it's somebody else, moving up to six could make some sense. It could. The challenge there, Darren, is you're putting in play a guy you moved up for in last year's draft, in Jared Culver, who struggled as a rookie. Uh, when I was up in Minnesota in January visiting the team, uh, they raved about his work ethic. He, he struggled as a rookie, but you know they said, look, he, he's always in the gym. He leads our team as far as uh, time in the gym, shots put up. So whatever Jared Culver's ceiling is, I, I think he's going to hit it because of his work. Uh, now, that being said, he had a disappointing and underwhelming rookie year. Uh, although going back, uh, Darren, about four or five years – 
I remember watching Gary Harris for the Denver Nuggets really struggle as a rookie. I, I think, you know, he got down on himself. He questioned himself. But that offseason, he dedicated himself. He continued to work. And then coming back in years two, three, four, Gary Harris became a very good NBA player. So if you're young, if you're hungry, if you are committed and work hard, there's a path for you to be very good. Uh, I think Culver, uh, you know, that opportunity is there for Culver. So I'd be a little surprised if Minnesota pulled the plug on Culver after one season. Uh, I, I, even more so in this year's draft, Darren, because uh, in this year's draft, of, you know, I've been doing this for close to 20 years now, going back to 2003 when I started in the Celtics front office. This year's draft is below average. It's not the worst I've seen, but on a scale of one to 10, I'd rate it as a three or a four, uh, maybe in terms of the talent with one being the worst and 10 being the best. So um, I, I don't like the thought of doubling down in a below average draft. That's some extent we did that in Phoenix in 2016 and got burned by it uh, when we traded up into the top eight and had two op- top eight picks. And that is also counter to what Minnesota has done in the past uh, by making aggressive moves and sending out draft picks uh, to get D'Angelo Russell and then Beasley and Hernan Gomez for Denver. So uh, I'd be a little surprised if that deal were to happen. I understand why Atlanta might be interested, especially if they're not in love with anybody at six. But we've heard the Hawks in a lot of trade conversations, uh, Darren, including those involving Drew Holiday. Uh, that came out this morning. So uh, as always, this time of year, it's hard to sift through uh, what's real and what's noise. But personally, I'd be surprised if Minnesota traded uh, the 17th pick and Jared Culver just to move up 11 slots in a below average draft. Ryan, what else stood out about your visit here in in mid-January, which again, seems like forever ago, but you just touched on Culver. What else stood out when you visited here? Yeah, the team was struggling at that time, Darren. Uh, they, they had an injury. Excuse me, Carl Anthony Towns was injured uh, at that point. So uh, the team absorbed a lot of losses. That's when they were trying to figure out their point guard situation. Uh, I was there the three days before they traded Jeff Teague. In fact, I was at the airport uh, in, in Minneapolis flying back to, to Phoenix, where I live. Uh, when, when I saw the news, uh, that, you know, they were trading Teague to Atlanta. Um, so they're trying to figure out the point guard situation. As you know, it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, especially in the Western Conference, to win without a very solid starting point guard they did not have that at that time before they traded uh for Russell so so that stood out there you know a, a young coach a young president and Ryan Saunders and Gershon Rosas trying to put their identity on the team which they have started to do Darren as you know they've turned over most of the roster other than Towns at this point so that stood out I was also very impressed with their practice facility uh the new facility they have that's right across the street uh, from the arena it's it's state-of-the-art uh, I think that'll be a, a key selling point for recruiting free agents and also retaining your current players uh they're doing a lot of cutting-edge things Things there with sports science. And so they, they have smart people, you know, beyond uh, Gershon Rosas in their front office. Uh, Sasha and Gupta just interviewed for the head job with the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Robbie Sick and others in the front office are some very bright basketball minds. So the team is in good hands, but uh, they do have a lot of work cut out for them. As you know, the Western Conference is, is brutal. We found that out. I found that out that the hard way is the GM of the Phoenix Suns. You can still be very good. You can still be above average in a 30-team league. And in the Western Conference some years, Darren, that is usually not good to make the good enough to make the playoffs, given how good the top teams are in the Western Conference. And also given that a lot of young up-and-coming teams uh, beyond the Timberwolves have looked like they've significantly improved their rosters next year and have a lot of developing talent, uh, which will continue to make it tough to crack the top eight and get into the playoffs in the West. Always appreciate your time. I'm going to hit you with two more, and then I'll, I'll send you on your way. Aaron Gordon, Orlando. The Wolves, from my understanding, had some dialogue with Orlando going back to February. His name is back out there. I don't know what the Wolves would have to send to Orlando. Presumably James Johnson's expiring, maybe pick 17, maybe more. But do you like the idea of Aaron Gordon next to Carl Anthony Towns? 
I do. I, I like his athleticism. I like Gordon's activity. Um, you know, I think with, with Russell and Towns, uh, we mentioned having a, an athlete, a defender in between those two guys. I think Gordon fits that bill to some extent. I also like the fact that his con- from a front office perspective, Darren, what Orlando did with his contract and others is they started it high and then walked it down. So what, what, why that's important is, well, as Aaron Gordon approaches what should be the prime of his career, uh, his mid to late 20s, he actually costs less. He's under team control for a few years, but his contract goes down. So for, as, as a GM or former GM, that gives you more flexibility going forward. Uh, the player should improve, but he should cost less uh, as you know the contracts to Towns and Russell and those guys escalate they go up his goes down so that gives you more financial flexibility uh, so I, I like that aspect of it and as we mentioned especially if the Wolves go backcourt in this year's draft uh, let's say they do draft LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards with the number one pick then they're going to need a couple forwards they're need a couple athletes a couple defenders uh, to slide in between those guys uh, regardless of whether it's Ball or Edwards or another backcourt player um, they need help at the forward positions and I think Aaron Gordon's probably just about as good as any player they could trade for especially if that trade does not involve uh, Towns Russell or the number one pick are you hearing any other names like if the Wolves move from one to three would Charlotte give up Bridges would Chicago potentially give up Wendell Carter Jr. to go from four to one would you entertain the idea of moving from one to eight if the Knicks throw in Mitchell Robinson anything else you're hearing or or to you Ryan that makes logical sense yeah, the, the dropback scenario I like most for the Timberwolves, I, I don't know if it's in play or not, I imagine it has been discussed uh, to some extent, is going to four and getting the Bulls pick. I'm excited. The Bulls have a number of good young players I like. Obviously, your listeners and viewers in Minnesota know, know Zach Levine and his game well. I'm not sure that's as good of a fit uh, you know, with, with Towns and Russell there. Um, but I, I like the, front, the young front court guys uh, in Chicago. Uh, you mentioned Wendell Carter Jr. Um, he's a center, so that probably is less appealing to me if I'm uh, you know, Gershon Rosas in the front office of Minnesota. Uh, the guy I'd really like, the guy I'd ask for, uh, I, I think this might be a lot of value for Chicago to give up, but it's Laurie Markkinen, who got off to a great start in his career. Uh, he, he's, for whatever reason, struggled a little bit. You know, maybe he's reinvigorated with a coaching change uh, with Jim Boylan going out and Billy Donovan coming in uh, to Chicago. But that would be the ask, um, because think of the shooting and spacing you'd have. Again, the team would struggle to some extent defensively. Uh, but if you had D'Angelo Russell in the backcourt and, and Laurie Markkinen and Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you have a very potent offensive team uh and, and then if you you know even more so if you drafted an Anthony Edwards LaMelo Ball again you need to improve your team defensively but I like that young player in Markin and I think his value is a little down I think it will come up over the next couple of years uh, so as I look at the Bulls roster that would be the ask if I'm Gershon Rosas that's a lot uh to give up if you're Chicago so if you're Minnesota I think you do that deal if you can get four Markin in if you're Chicago I'm guessing they probably pass although they do have to think about it Darren especially if there's a guy they love at number one who they're fairly certain will not be available with the fourth pick how much does it help that that the new bulls boss whose name i'll i'll botch you probably know the name pronunciation but him and gerson work together in houston how how helpful is it to have that sort of relationship like when when you were running phoenix did you oftentimes call boston to check on guys because you had those relationships like how helpful is that when thinking about a logical match between minnesota and chicago yeah, Arturis Karnishevis is the name of the new head of basketball with the Chicago Bulls, uh, played at Seton Hall, worked in the front offices of the Houston Rockets, and then recently uh, with the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, they did a great job with that Denver team, uh, went to the conference finals this past season. Um, so those relationships do help, Darren. I, I think more than anything, it helps where you can have open and frank conversations and, and not worry about being burned by the other party. What I mean by that is because you have a relationship, uh, one of the things, maybe the thing you hate the most, honestly, as an executive is when you have discussions 
questions that you think are confidential and private, and then they get leaked to the media. Um, because not only is it frustrating, uh, because you know the trust is broken down with the the individual or the group that you had conversations with with the other team, uh, but also internally, Darren, think of the the maintenance and the management you have to do uh, with the player who now is worried about he, if he's going to be traded. Uh, his agent's calling you asking the same thing. His friends and family are worried that they may have to move as well and and follow the guy to the next city. So all of that comes into play. So yeah, I, I, my guess is that if the Timberwolves and Bulls have discussions between four and one uh, between Rosas and Karnishevis, you probably won't hear a whole lot about it. And whether a deal happens or not, there's a mutual respect there and mutual trust that they can have open and frank conversations. And even if nothing comes of it, know that or hope that those deals won't get out there in the media and cause issues for either side, either Rosas and the guys in Minnesota or Karnishevis and his group in Chicago. All right, last talking point. That one just hit me after what you had just previously said. But last talking point is, it looks like Glenn Taylor is moving closer to, to selling the Wolves and, and the WNBA team, but, but specifically the Wolves now. He may end up retaining as much as 40% ownership. Maybe it's 20%, but it looks like a new majority owner is coming in. It's when, not if. I think even something could happen before January 1st because of you know estate tax reasons with, with the Biden administration coming in. I just... I think things are far enough down the road where, where it's sooner rather than later. If you're Gerson, do you even think about that? Like, how are you operating knowing that, that you may have a new boss here pretty quick? Well, you try not to think about it, Darren. You try to do uh, your job and the best job for the team. But obviously, human nature is uh, any man or woman is listening to, to your show, watching your show, thinks of their boss. What does the boss want? And so if you're going to have a new boss, you need to figure out, okay, coming in the door, how am I going to make a good impression on him or her, right? That, that's just human nature. Uh, so I think if you're Gershon Rosas, you're, you're trying to get as much information as you can from uh, Glenn Taylor. And then uh, Ethan Kaysen is the president as well there and, and figure out you know what's going on. Um, you know, you're not obsessing over it, but you're interested. You're curious about it um, because who knows what a new owner would want. A new owner could come in and say, look, let's uh, go through a full-blown rebuild. Um, new. Let's take three or four years and build this thing up from the draft, which, you know, may involve at that point, even considering trading a Russell or even down the road a Towns, you know, if you're going to do it that way. Or, uh, you know, the, the man or woman who owns the team could come in and say, look, we need to make the playoffs now. I want to win now, which is the more likely outcome, uh, Darren, as you know, when you're dealing with billionaires, they're generally impatient. So uh, it does factor factor in. Uh, you, you ask Glenn Taylor as an executive to be honest with you about where it is. And then you also have to figure out uh, from an organizational perspective, does that change the financial element of it all? Um, usually, Darren, what happens is when teams are on the verge of being sold or, or you know, potentially going to be sold soon, they don't want to spend a bunch of money going forward unless they have the incoming owner in place and have his or her approval on it, right? Nobody wants to go out and spend a lot of money uh, with a deal potentially pending and then have the new owner. So, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I was interested before, but I, why did you guys do that? I didn't want to do that. Now I'm low, no longer interested. As you know, we're talking about a deal that's going to be uh, north of a billion dollars. So when you're spending between one and two billion dollars as an incoming owner, you're going to want to have some say. Uh, so I, I'd have to imagine those conversations are taking place behind the scenes and the Timberwolves front office is trying to figure out, okay, who is the new owner likely to be? And then what does he or she want us to do? And what are we allowed to do from a financial perspective? Ryan, your analysis is gold. Thank you so much for, for giving me probably more time than you anticipated. And if we can maybe do this, I don't need to do it for 30 minutes, but if we can do it for five or 10 minutes sometime after the Wolves end up drafting and maybe after the first couple of days of free agency, I'd love to do it again. 
Yeah, Darren, always great to be on with you. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, on our show, radio.com, Scallon Pal, Scallon, I'll break it down for you. Uh, noon to one Eastern, which uh, I guess is 11 to 11 a.m. to noon your time in Minnesota. So we're on radio.com, Spotify, Twitch TV, app, uh, iTunes store, all that kind of stuff. So Scal and I will have all the draft coverage and then happy to come back on with you anytime, especially if and when the Timberwolves make a big move. Really good guy. Former Suns general manager, worked a long time in the Celtics front office. Ryan McDonough. I do respectfully disagree with Ryan. I would not be surprised if the Wolves end up moving Jarrett Culver. They're not married to Jarrett Culver. They know the warts that exist there. If they can make the right move, especially if they can add a third superstar, they would happily move Jarrett Culver. I would not be shocked if they moved Culver and 17 if they can move up. I don't know if Atlanta would do that deal, but I think the Wolves if it was offered, would do that deal. Or if Atlanta said yes, the deal would be done. They also, oh, by the way, would save some money. I don't have all the all the details in front of me, but making a move like that, 17-plus Culver to move up, would save the Wolves money when talking about, you know, they are a luxury tax team based off last year. They will avoid being a repeater luxury tax team. So the further you can stay below that line, the more money you can save, the better. This remains what will be a very historic draft for the Twin Cities. Tyrell Terry, Trey Jones, Daniel Oturu, Zeke Naji, all expected to go within the first 40 picks. I can hedge it a little bit, but there's even a chance all four go in the first round. Then you have guys like Freddie Gillespie, who, you know, if he doesn't get drafted, he's going to land a two-way deal. There is confidence that he'll land a two-way deal. Then you have guys like Sakar Annam, Ade Murky, that have a chance to land in the G League. So this is a very strong draft for the Twin Cities. On Terry, the Knicks tried to get another interview with him. That won't happen. There's all sorts of steam. It's been this way for a while. It's not like this is new on Terry, that, that he is going to go first round. The question is, how high? Does he go as high as the teens? Does he fall to the 20s? Personally, I'd love to see Tyrell end up with the Brooklyn Nets. I know the Nets like him. I don't know where... You know, he's stacked on the Nets board, but how cool would it be to land with Steve Nash and the Nets? On Daniel Oturu, he's back in town now. On Trey Jones, he'll be back in town for the draft. Those guys put in incredible work at P3 Sports Science in Santa Barbara. They both have transformed their bodies. On Najee, he has worked out for the Heat, the Jazz. The Spurs were trying to get in with him. I know the Lakers have seen Zeke in person, the Clippers have seen Zeke in person. He's still in Vegas for a couple days. He'll fly back to the Twin Cities over the weekend. So while in Vegas, I Zoomed with Zeke the other day. Zeke Najee, Hopkins High School, University of Arizona, the Pac-12 freshman of the year, should go sometime in the first round on Wednesday night. Here's my chat this week with Zeke Najee. Zeke, as the countdown is on, it's no longer months, it's no longer weeks, it's days. Just take us through your emotions. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, this is something I've dreamed about since I since I I was a little kid playing in my driveway, and to be this close to to the draft, uh, I mean, I, I can't wait. I mean, what's this wait been like? I mean, this is the longest pre-draft process in the history of sports, let alone just the NBA. Talking the NBA, I mean, there's never been a pre-draft process like this? How have you been able to balance everything? Yeah, I mean, especially early on in the process, it was 
it was rough just not knowing when when the draft was going to be, how long we're going to have to wait. But for me, what I did was I took it just one day at a time. I think that that's the best approach for me. Just try to take advantage of every day and uh, try to make sure that after every day you got a little bit better. And if you look at it like that, I think that it makes it a lot more manageable. Take us through how you've gotten better. You've been working really, really hard in Las Vegas at Impact. Take us through how you've gotten better. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've changed, I've changed a lot of things. Um, I added like 15 pounds uh, of muscle. And so right now I'm at like 248. I really like, I really like the weight I'm at right now. Um, been working a lot on my like foot speed and like lateral quickness. Um, I've been working a lot on my jump shot. And I feel really confident in how I'm shooting the ball, shooting the ball really well. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm really happy with the improvements in my shot and just the, the expansion of my range. I think that um, time off that we've had or the time away from um, basketball has really helped me to uh, put in a lot of time. Uh, so I think that with, with all the time that we've had, uh, I've been able to really take advantage of it and improve my game. On that shot, I mean, you've had a chance to work out for some teams already. You might even have some more workouts. So when, when teams are watching you shoot the ball, like, are you showing them, okay, you know, whether you want to use me as a stretch four or even a stretch five, depending on matchups, that you can extend the floor, you know, and, and make some of those bigs come out and guard you at the, at the three-point line? Definitely, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is I want to show my versatility, uh, both offensively and defensively, being able to, you know, guard bigs, um, being able to um, step out and guard guards on the perimeter, um, being able to pick and pop, pick and roll, take advantage of mismatches. I think that versatility for me is huge, and I want to really show teams that. What has stood out when, when you've done these individual workouts? What what are those workouts like? Yeah, um, I was just – it's really one-on-zero, um, working out with a trainer, and they're, they're just watching um, a lot of different – I mean, I guess it's really you show um, what you want to show. Like, it depends on what the teams want to see from you. If they want to see – Oh, can he shoot the ball? Then do a lot more shooting things, or how's his foot speed, or can he finish things like that? So whatever the teams really want to see, that's what you're going to show them. How happy are you with with your combine numbers? I saw the numbers. I mean, comparatively speaking, like the numbers you put up, Zeke, compared to just you know a bunch of the forwards last year, like you would have been top five in a bunch of categories. So is it safe to say that that you're incredibly proud of of the combine numbers that you posted? Yeah, definitely. I mean. I think that I've really done a lot with my body. I mean, like I said before, I've added like 15 pounds of muscle. Um, I've really improved in terms of like quickness and foot speed. Um, I feel feel stronger. I feel faster. I feel more explosive. And I think I don't know, I'm really happy with my, where my body's at right now. How crazy are things going to be? I mean, you'll hear your name called on Wednesday, next Wednesday. Then all of a sudden, next thing you know, like you're going to be in some team's training camp, snap of the fingers. Yeah, it's as soon as you drafted, like, if you drafted uh, 18th, like, I think the 22nd is the, the start date of the first game. So, I mean, it's it's going, like, nonstop. So, I mean, it's a lot, but I feel like I'm ready for it. I mean, I've been preparing this for this for my whole life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to it. Does the cliche hold true that, that time flies, like, if I had told you, you know, growing up there in Lakeville, you eventually transitioned to Hopkins, maybe back in your pulley days, eventually the D1 Minnesota days, you know, now we're to this point, like, just, is it just crazy to think about how much has happened, 
how much you've you've grown, you know, on and off the court, how far you've come in just a short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're going through it, you're going through the process, you know, it feels like a really long process. And uh, there can definitely be days where you feel like you really have to grind to get better. But I mean, when you really look back on it and you look, I look back on where, where I've come from and all that I've done in, in the time uh, since like, since I was a freshman in high school, I mean, it, it's, it's gone by so quick. Like it feels like literally, I know people said it, but like literally feels like yesterday that you know, I was just a freshman in high school. So to be in this position is, is incredibly humbling. How many people do you need to thank Zeke for helping you get to this point? I mean, I think about mom, dad, coach Novak, you know, any number of coaches, Pulley and D1, you know, coach Miller, obviously others in Tucson, and I'm leaving out any number of names, you know, the people at impact sports, just how many people do you need to thank to help you get to this position? Oh man, there's, I mean, there's so many people that have helped me along the way. I mean, and the thing is, though, I'm not, I'm not even done. You know, I'm just going to start with this journey. But uh, yeah, I mean, there have been, there have been so many people that have, that have helped me throughout the years. I think, but for me, the biggest, the biggest uh, helper, my biggest support has been the Most High. Uh, I think that without him, I wouldn't be in this position. So I give all the thanks and praise to him. Yeah, and I mean, heck, it's, it's like when, when did you realize, Zeke? Okay, I've got a legit chance to play at the highest level? Like, was it when you were starting to dominate maybe junior year at Hopkins? Was it maybe more so senior at Hopkins? Was it, was it that AAU season after your junior year at Hopkins? When did it hit you when you said, you know what, I can absolutely play in the NBA? Yeah, I think, I really do think that, I mean, I've always felt like that, but I think, I think that um, with that junior year when I got my first offer, I think that that's when I really felt like, okay, now, now this can uh, now I feel like I can really uh, go somewhere with this, you know. And I mean, I just once I got that first offer, you know, I didn't look back. I just kept pushing and pushing. Take me through where you'll be on draft night. Will you just be around the family in in the living room? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be be at home uh, just with my family. Just with my family. I mean, can you visualize that moment when the commissioner's at the podium and he announces, and and you're gonna be a part of of the draft coverage. So presumably the, the NBA or ESPN sending you a camera that, that you'll have in your living room. Can you just visualize that moment when, when the commissioner says with the so-and-so pick, you know, you're, you're selected. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm every time I, I try to visualize, I get so excited and nervous, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just so happy. Like words can't describe how, how excited I am for, for that moment. How many interviews did you do? Did you end up interviewing with every single team? And, and I mean, just knowing your personality, knowing how, how well-spoken you are, Zeke, I would imagine being in a situation like this, even virtually meeting with general managers, that that was an opportunity for you to shine. Yeah, um, I interviewed with a, a lot of teams. Honestly, I think almost the whole league, not, not every single team. But, I mean, it was, it was a lot. Um, I mean, I, I was doing well in them, so there was really no reason for me not to to be afraid or to shy away from interviews. Um, yeah, all of them went well, so, I mean, I just continued to do them. Is it hard not to think, you know, have your mind drift to, to one particular franchise? Like, I'll give you an example. This is just me talking, Zeke. I'd love to see you in San Antonio working with Tim Duncan. Like, how, <laughs> would, a big, 
how would a big go wrong working with Tim Duncan, right? I mean, I can say that about a lot of guys. I can say that about Daniel Oturu and any number of other bigs. But with you, yeah, why not? Be in San Antonio working with Tim Duncan. Is, is there any particular franchise where you think, hey, that would be really cool to land in that particular city? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say if there's a specific team that I want to go to. No, I'm, I'm just really excited. You know, no matter where I go, uh, I'm going to do – I'm going to try to be the hardest worker on the team, um, give it my best, um, and do whatever I can to make the team better to continue to get better myself. How about the hometown Timberwolves? Is it is it easy to think about that possibility? I mean, they do have picks 117 and 33. I mean, they they control this draft in so many ways. Have you thought about that possibility? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that would be a cool play uh, for the hometown team. Um, have my family, a lot of my games, you know, have them so close. I think that that would, that would definitely be really cool. What surprised you during this pre-draft process? Um, I don't know. I, I just – I think that going into it, you know, like when it was like March, April, I guess I didn't think it would be this long. I think that's really what surprised me more than anything, just how long it's been. Uh, I've been trained for literally like six months, seven months, something like that, um, nonstop. So I think that just the length of it – uh, I think that's what surprised me the most. I mean, think about it, Zeke. I think you and I have talked about four or five times about the draft, right? I mean, like finally, right? Like it just, it has to be a sense of relief that finally we're like knocking on the doorstep of, of closure and we can actually talk about next time we talk, hey, I'm a member of the Toronto Raptors or the Miami Heat or you name the franchise, right? Yeah, no, it feels good to, to be so close to it finally because there was – Throughout the process, there had been so many times I feel like, when is it gonna, when is it gonna actually happen? You know, because I remember at one point, and through the pre-draft process, kept getting pushed back. The draft kept getting pushed back, and so I was like, okay, when is it actually gonna happen? Now that we're so close to it, it feels good. It feels good. I'll hit you with a few more. We've talked about this before, but now that again, it's it's on the verge of happening. How cool is it that that somebody you played with, Tyrell Terry, is going to be a high draft pick? That Daniel Oturu. That, that Trey Jones, that, that four Twin Cities kids, obviously including you, are going to be pretty high draft picks? Yeah, it's it's awesome, you know. Uh, Minnesota definitely has some hoopers. Um, and there's more coming, too. Like, you know, we're not we're not, not the end. You know, there are a lot more uh, younger guys that are coming up. They're, they're going to be some problems, too. So Minnesota is definitely on the map now for uh, basketball. What sort of player, I'll ask you about two of your teammates, Josh Green is going to be a pretty high pick. What sort of NBA player is a team getting in Josh Green? Yeah, um, I mean, he's a super hard worker. Um, he's a great defender, super athletic, um, a selfless player. Um, and uh, I just think that he's a great teammate to have. And then same question, Nico Mannion. Yeah, he's a great point guard, super high IQ, um, great vision, and he – he loves making unselfish play and unselfish pass. So I think that he would be a definitely a great point guard to have. Zeke, do you want to leave us with any words of wisdom? Any final thoughts? Um, no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited, you know. I, I can't wait. And just you'll keep grinding? I mean, are you going hard like today, tomorrow, Friday, hop back here on a plane Saturday, maybe relax for a little bit and then just ramp things back up when, when you get to training camp? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. I'm even when I go back home, I'm still gonna be, still gonna be grinding. I mean, 
season's not that far away. So, I mean, I got to I gotta make sure I'm on top of everything. And did I see a 38-inch vertical? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you always have a 38-inch vertical? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, maybe I improved it a little bit, but I feel like I, feel like I have. Very nice. Zeke, always good to see you. Send the best to your family, and we'll certainly connect after after you get drafted, okay? For sure. Thank you so much. Okay. Good to see you, Zeke. You too. Really good kid, Zeke Najee. I can't remember. Did I mention Utah? Utah is a team to watch on Zeke. The Jazz like Zeke Najee. Now, again, when Utah's pick comes up, maybe somebody else fell that they like more. Can't really say definitively if Zeke will land there, but I certainly would keep an eye on Utah when they come up on Wednesday night. Zeke has been training at Impact Sports in Vegas. The leader is Joe Abunastar. Joe has been around forever. Longtime NBA trainer, college coach before that, but he has trained the likes of Kevin Garnett, Chauncey Billups, Kyle Lowry, Kristaps Porzingis, Kawhi Leonard. So many big-time players. He has been training Zeke Naji. He has been training... Tyrese Halliburton. So the Wolves have connected with Halliburton three times, twice virtually, once in person. So I wanted to do a bit of a deep dive on Halliburton. So I connected with Joe Abunasar. Here's my chat from the other night with Joe Abunasar. Joe, let me start with Tyrese Halliburton. You've worked with so many special players over the years. Heck, I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin Garnett, you know, somebody who's who's famous in this town, in this market, right? The all-time greatest Timberwolves player. He's still beloved here in the Twin Cities. You worked with KG going back many, many years. So you've worked with so many special players. Where does Halliburton rank? Um, you know, obviously, he's at the beginning of his career. You know, we can, we can look back at KG's career and others and say what a great career they have. But, I mean, in my opinion, uh, you know, Tyrese has an ability to be very special. He has an ability to be a guy that at the end of his career would be beloved by his town, just like KG was in Minnesota or is in Minnesota. I mean, he's a special player. Um, I think he's going to add a lot to the community. Uh, he's a special person, really a neat, a neat young man that's uh, uh, got a lot of character. And I think that that shows through in the way he plays the game. You know, he's a winner is what he is. So, you know, with, with, with as great as KG was, there, I mean, he turned the Timberwolves, you know, going to the conference finals and, and those type of things. Those were the big years there for KG. So, you know, winning is important, I think, with how you're remembered. And, and certainly after, after uh, you know, KG went, going to Boston, the, the rest is history there in terms of winning. But um, I think Tyrese is special. I think he's very special, not only with his skill, but with his personality. What did you know about Tyrese before he stepped into your gym many months ago? And now many months later, what do you now know? Well, I'll tell you, it's funny because uh, when I knew he was coming to me, I watched some film and, you know, there's not a ton of film because he got hurt a little bit and it's interesting how he plays and he's a very unorthodox guy. And I'm looking kind of thinking, okay, you know, I've had John Wallet number one. I've had, you know, Porzingis. I've had guys in the top three from, you know, from Carl Towns to a lot of guys, you know what I mean? We, we, we were able to see them in the draft and these guys are coming in and when Tyrese got to, to Vegas and into the gym, you know, everyone was asking me, where's the, where's the kid from Iowa state? I said, no, that's him right there. <laughs> you know, so he's very unassuming, you know, so, so it, to answer that question, what I know now about him is, is a lot more than I did. And, he, and he's certainly more than meets the eye. I mean, he's got a great frame, six foot six and just a big, 
long, you know, he looks like a basketball player. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't wow you with his physicality. Um, but, but after training him and, and being exposed to how he shoots the ball and the way he plays the game, I have a much different opinion of him now than when I watched the film or when he walked in the gym the first day. I mean, this guy is, he's maybe one of the most unassuming stars, potential stars I've ever been around. I mean, is the beauty of his game, Joe, that, that he can play on the ball, off the ball, that, that he's a combo guard, that, that we shouldn't pigeonhole him as just a point guard or just a shooting guard? I think that's been a, you know, a big talk with me, with the teams that are coming in to see Tyrese is his value because of his versatility. So, you know, if you look at a Golden State and you obviously you don't need a lead scorer there, you got a guy in Tyrese who can stand in the corner and drain threes all day long, spread the floor, handle the ball when he needs to. I think he can play the one, the two, and the three on defense. Um, his versatility, he can be the lead guy. So I, I always use this example. We, we play a lot at our gym, and, and his team tends to win more, more than, they, than they lose. Um, but there will be games, they, they might win five in a row, and he scores two points, two buckets in all the games, and there might be five in a row where he scores 20. So, yeah, he's very, very uh, – he wants to win, and I think his length, his size, the way the NBA is switching, you know, the way the game is played today, very much that's a, it, it's a great – asset that he has is how versatile he is. I think he can completely run a team. I think he can stand in the corner and drain threes all game. You know, whatever you need him to do, I think he'll be happy to do and he's capable of it. I mean, is the best way to put it, Joe, maybe that, that he just, he makes winning plays that the box goal may not always wow you, but you're talking about, you know, the five on five games there in your gym that, that more often than not, you know, he's going to make the right play and his team is going to come out on top. I, I think so. I think he's a winner. And I think, you know, up there in Minnesota, you guys would understand he, he's the king of the hockey assist. You know, he, he, he gets that ball where it needs to go to get to the guy where it needs to go. He sees two plays ahead. You know, I've had some great point guards and, and lucky to work with guys like Billups and Kyle Lowry, who's here right now with Tyrese. Um, you know, guys that, you know, I always used to be amazed at the way, you know, Chauncey saw the floor early, you know, how he knew where the ball needed to go to get it where it needed to go next. And that's where Tyrese is at. So, and his winning plays might be, you know, his off-the-ball defense, his anticipation is incredible. Um, you know, with the way the league is today with the speed, he's got the long arms, he can get in the passing lanes. The answer is yes. Like, he he not only gives – like, we, we say all the time, we got we have a lot of other draft guys here that – and when we play, everyone hopes they're on Tyrese's team because we film, and you always look good when you're playing with Tyrese because he, he not only gets you the ball to shoot it or or – you know, where you need it. He, he also, in, in a strange way, Darren, he, he gives you, and KG did this, he gives you the confidence to make it. You know what I mean? He, it's really interesting how he encourages his teammates. Like, you know, it's, you know, we have Tyler Bay, who's a great, you know, kid from Colorado, who's a, you know, you know first round guy and a, a great athlete. He needs to shoot the ball better, right? Everybody knows that. I mean, I think Tyler had eight threes, one of the three on three games, because Tyrese just kept gassing him up, you know, and pumping him up and getting him the ball where he needed to. And, Tyrese was more excited than Tyler, you know, when he was hitting the shots. Tyler's a man of few words anyways, but, you know, Tyrese is contagious. His, his winning personality is contagious. And to me, you know, I've been doing the draft 24 years. I've seen guys go in the top five that really didn't have very good careers, you know, that nothing against them or whatever, for whatever the reason might be. You know, I, I worked with a guy that I, I can remember having conversations with a lot of teams. Uh, what position was he, you know? What is he really going to do? Can he shoot the ball? And, and he kept kind of sliding in the draft. You know, his name was Kawhi Leonard, who turned out pretty good. You know, so 14 teams 
just didn't think Kawhi was the right guy, you know? So I see, you know, I hear the draft, I read the stuff and I'm saying, look, the goal in the NBA is to win games. You want guys on your team that are going to win games. And, and I think Tyrese Halliburton is going to win a lot of games in his career. So that, that's what I, I think. I think so. He makes winning plays. He makes threes, Joe. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, but, but how comfortable are you with it, with his shot mechanics? Yeah. So that's a question I've been asked a lot. And I think that my judge of a shot is one, if it goes in, of course. Right. But, but the, the key with his shot is it's the same way every time. And I think, you know, there's some, there's some guys in, that are in the NBA that have been around even longer than I have that have been through the gym and, you know, guys that work with teams that have watched him. And there has been, it's been unanimous that his mechanics and the way he shoots it do not need to be adjusted. You know, we raised the release a little bit, little bit, and it's so quick, but the, the, when somebody shoots the ball the same way every time and the ball goes in the basket, there's really nothing to, you know, Tayshawn Prince was my guy. You, know, you remember the way KG shot? He shot it kind of behind his head a little bit. You know, Billups shot it with textbook, you know, elbow in form. Reggie Miller, who I was around so much with all my years and in, in spending time with Al Harrington and those guys with the Pacers, he shot it differently. So I think what Tyrese does is he he makes you really – you know, question the whole textbook shooting uh, because anyone who understands shooting would know that when you're, when your feet are different and your hands are different every time, that's a problem. You know, you, if you have inconsistency, but if you're executing the same mechanics every time and the result is, you know, his percentages are through the roof. Um, I think, I don't think there's anything that needs to be done with a shot. And so for me as doing what I do, I'm not, I'm concerned with the fact that the ball goes in a lot and his range is crazy. You know, we had a couple workouts here where, I won't even be need to mention the name of the teams. And then I said, Hey, anything else you want me to do with them? I said, yeah, let's, let's have him shoot a few deep threes off the dribble and he'll hit 10 in a row, you know, from deep, I'm talking about deep, like, like 30 footers, like Steph Curry range threes. Um, and they're like, okay, we don't need to see anything else. Yeah. So I think that the proof is in the pudding, right? So that ball goes in the bat. I've seen a lot of pretty jump shots, jump shooters who can't make a damn shot in the game. So there you go. <laughs> so it, this kid can make shots. Health-wise, he's okay. I mean, he had the he had the wrist injury, non-shooting hand, right? But but back in February. But I suppose the longest pre-draft process in in sports history. I suppose you know now nine ten months later, the wrist is is fine. Yeah, this is the only pre-draft you could ever heal an ACL fully. You know, with the pre-draft process, this has been crazy. So no no issues with the wrist. You know, he took a little time off after. Um, the season and got that to, or after the injury. And then he, of course he had the dead period after the season where he really just focused on his body. So we didn't do a ton of basketball stuff till, you know, June, June and July. So yeah, he's fully healed. Um, he's put weight on, of course, which is, you know, and again, we talk about Tayshaun princes of the world. Tay never gained any weight his whole career, but he got stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what we're doing with Tyrese. He did put on, you know, 15, 16 pounds of, of, of weight, which he needed to, he was very skinny, but with a guy who moves, he, he doesn't move, he glides, you know, he just glides and he has a, he has an uncanny knack of avoiding contact. So people say, I'm going to body him up, but he just, he's very, he's very slithery, you know, he's elusive, uh, especially in the open floor. So his body is great. Um, his, his health is great. And, and I think that the added strength will keep him even be, even more healthy in the future. What about Tyrese would surprise us? Uh. I'll tell you, I, I think what a normal guy he is. That's, I think that surprises everybody. I mean, from a basketball player's perspective, from a strictly skill perspective, I think people would be shocked that, that his shot goes in as much as it does. You know I mean? It's kind of a funky looking shot and it's just like, man, that thing is money. You know, that's, 
that's 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 a top five pick jump shot right there. Um, I think, but he's just such a normal guy, and I think that he'll acclimate to whatever team he goes to, and he'll help them win. So I, I think that once he gets into a community, the people of that community are going to be they're going to love to have him there because he's just a, he's a great spirit. Um, sometimes during the games, he has a smile on his face. So, you know, it's like the movie Elf. So why are you smiling? You know, I like smiling. He said, you know, just stop smiling. You know, be mad, be mean, but. I've never seen a guy project energy and enthusiasm with such positivity. You know, there's nothing negative about what he does. If he, if he missing, if he's missing some shots or whatever, he gets on himself a little bit, but he never shows it. He's very poised. Um, I think, I think, you know, look, I've been around him for a long time now. So the, the flaws become more evident after you're around a guy for four months, but he's been, he's been terrific. And, and I'll tell you what else is that the other pre-draft guys that are here, in addition to the veterans, if you ask them all, Hey, what do you think about Tyrese Halliburton? Because he's such a good person, there's no hate there. They're like, man, that guy can really play. You know, he can really play. And I think that says a lot about him. Speaking of great spirits, speaking of other guys there, Zeke Naji. I mean, I've, I've known Zeke and his, and his family for, for years. He's a Twin Cities kid, played under the legendary Ken Novak Jr. in high school. So I know how well-schooled he was in high school. Heck, Pac-12 freshman of the year. I mean, that speaks for itself. So... What, what sort of player will an NBA team get in, in Zeke Naji? Uh, I mean, Zeke's been terrific as well. I mean, I think anyone, you know Zeke. So he's just a great kid. He's a worker. We kid him sometimes. He's like, he has a programmable robot on his chest. He said, like, I'm into workout mode. Boom. He's into workout mode. You can't distract the guy. And I think that's a testament to his family and how he was brought up. Um, Zeke's major energy, major explosive player. Um, you know, he added, he went from 233 coming out of Arizona. He's at 248 now. So he put on 15 pounds and Zeke got here June one. So um, he's meticulous with his nutrition. Uh, just a really, really unbelievable worker. But I think he, what he's really done that'll surprise people, Darren, is he's, he's shooting the ball really well. And I don't think he, that he didn't shoot it well at Arizona. It just, you know, college programs, you just don't get the chance to do that. So um, he's really extended his range out to the three. The teams that have come in to watch Zeke have been really, really shocked with how well he's shooting and handling the ball from the perimeter. And again, a guy like Zeke in his early years, uh, he's not going to be asked to go score 25 points. You know, this is something that that's, he's going to be asked to guard. Uh, he's going to be asked to rebound, run the floor, finish, and make open shots. And I think that any NBA, NBA team is getting that consistently out of Zeke. No, there's no BS involved. There's no, there's no side turns. There's no, no detours with Zeke. I mean, he's going to rebound. He's going to run. He's going to make open shots. And his de defense is um, he's able to switch on the perimeter and keep guys in front of him. He's a he's an obviously an amazing athlete who's gotten to be an even better athlete with the added power. In the post, I mean, can he guard fours and fives? I mean, I guess depending on matchup, but he does have I mean, you're right. I mean, he's going to be able to switch and, and guard out on the perimeter. But in the post, can he guard some guys, too? I didn't think anybody played in the post anymore, Darren. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> he can. In some ways, yeah. He can. You know, and I think that's where the added strength is coming in. You know, going from, you know, 15 pounds of, you know, he's at 6% body fat. So you're not dealing with, uh, we didn't we didn't go to In-N-Out Burger and pound some uh, doubles over there, you know, to get his weight up. So, um, you know, he's, he's, I think he can. I think he can guard. His footwork is great. His low, he has a low center of gravity. And I think with those guys like Zeke, it's been really important in this draft uh, the questions I've been asked about Zeke is, is he only a five or can he play out on the perimeter? And I think that's important. It makes him more versatile because the big and strong days of the banging fives, you know, 
they're out, you know, those are out and, and the, the, the new in is let's switch everything and keep guys in front of you. You know, let's make the guards beat us off ball screens. Let's, let's drop and protect the rim. And I think Zeke provides all that with his lateral speed. So take us through. So, okay. So you have guys running five on five. You mentioned Lowry's out there. I mean, who's, who's in these games right now. So when, when Tyrese is, is oftentimes on, on the winning team, Joe, who's, who's on his team, who's he competing against? So we, we actually, Darren, we, we haven't been up and down in a bit because like with guys like Tyrese, Josh Green, Zeke, we don't like to put them full court five on five just because of the injury risk, right? So we've been playing a lot of three on three, four on four and a half court. The other guys are, you know, Malachi Flynn is here. Devon Dotson is here. Ashton Hagens is here. Reggie Perry is here. CJ Ellaby from Washington State is here. Um, Tyler Bay, Zeke, uh, of course, Tyrese, Josh Green, um, we have Mamadi Diakite from, from Virginia, you know, who had the big season down there. Z, uh, Xavier Sneed from, from Kansas State. Uh, Javin Delorier from Duke. You know, those are the guys in our pre-draft class and for maybe be leaving a few guys out. But, and then we also have guys like Malachi Richardson, who was a first-round pick, uh, you know, four years ago. Uh, Jarrell Martin who, from LSU, who's a first-round pick by Memphis a couple years ago. Jamal Franklin had been playing with these guys all summer. He's over in China now. He just had 51 points the other night. So these guys are able – Lowry has not played yet. Fred Van Vliet worked out this morning. Kyle O'Quinn has been playing with those guys. Troy Brown has been playing with those guys. So, yeah, these are not three-on-three games with a couple high school kids and a, and a filler. I mean, the worst players are guys that are also projected, you know, first, second-round picks in the draft. And then those veteran guys are really valuable to have because – you know, Malachi Richardson's only 24 years old still, believe it or not, he's been around a while, but he can talk to a Tyrese or, you know, Amir Johnson was with us all summer. Uh, Amir just left to go take, take a playing job up in the G League with that select team where he's going to be kind of a mentor to some of those young guys. Amir is amazing. Like, Amir can talk to guys about pick and roll stuff that I can talk to him about, but obviously it means more coming from, from him and showing him, okay, don't pass me the ball here give me the ball there. And here's why, you know, this is where the help's going to be coming from. So we have, we have got, we have a lot of good people in the gym that they can learn from. Um, and, you know, Lowry has been, been, been great for, for this morning. I had a chance to work out Kyle and Fred Van Vliet with Malachi Flynn, you know, which is just a great opportunity for Malachi Flynn. who's like a little guard, like it was like three little guards and you know, Freddie's proven, Kyle, of course, has proven, and here's little Malachi trying to keep pace, and he did a hell of a job. So I think those kind of experiences are good for all of them. You know, we have – I don't know if you remember Austin Day. You've been around a long time. Austin was uh, drafted by the Pistons. He's, he, Austin's in Italy right now playing, but Austin is an amazing guy with his footwork. You know, he's very pivot-oriented, so he spent a lot of time with Tyrese just talking about footwork and was able to show him things, how to pivot to create space, um, and, and those type of things, you know, with that. And, and, you know, Amir helped Zeke a lot, you know, Amir Johnson talking to Zeke and getting him understanding nobody finished in the NBA like Amir did, you know, he could catch anything and get the ball in the basket. So having guys like that has been really valuable for these guys and then playing with them too has been great. So you've been doing it now, Joe, you said 24 years. I mean, how much do these guys just, just keep you young? How much, how much <laughs> does the passion burn now compared to 24 years ago? Um, you know, this class has been awesome for me because I really like all these guys. So it's really interesting because when I started, uh, I'd coached, I'd been a manager for night at Indiana and then I coached for four years at Wyoming. And so when I got done, I was only 25 when I started and you know, here, here comes Ty Lu and Al Harrington who, who Al was only 18, but you know, Ty's 20. So we're talking about a three to four year gap. I have Billups, I have KG when I'm young, 
I'm 25, they're 22. You know, now these guys hang out with my son, you know, which is really funny. Who's my son's 19. He's a, he's a sophomore at Notre Dame. Um, but you know, Josh Green's hanging out at my house all the time with my son. So it's like, it, it's a whole different deal now. Right. So um, I, I enjoy it just equally as enough, but you know, to be able to sit there with, with a guy like Tyrese and say, look, here's, here's the guys I've had in the first round, you know, to be able to sit between him and Kyle and say, Kyle, talk to Tyrese a little bit about, you know, Kyle Lowry wasn't an instant star. You know, we know that we got traded. He was a bit of a pain in the butt. Now he just matured and he hit stride and he took care of his body and he became Kyle Lowry that we see, you know, on a meaningless game in the bubble, diving on the floor and taking charges in the all-star game. I mean, who does that? Right. I mean, you see Fred Van Vliet say, Hey, Freddie, did you get drafted? No. We'll talk to these guys about what it means to be an NBA player and not to get too caught up in the draft. So I enjoy being older now, uh, being able to talk to them in a different way. Cause I just, I've seen it all. You know what I mean? I've seen every, I know your type, you're the kind of guy who wants to do this and that you all categorize them. So, but these guys are great. You know, I, I think that the, this young group I have right now has been a lot of fun. Look, we've had to make it fun. You're here for six months. You know, it's not the, the usual six to eight week boot camp that we normally run for the draft. This is, you know, let's play some shooting games today type thing, you know? So um, I, I think the industry has changed, you know, in terms of what I do, but the way we prepare guys, you know, we have a, a huge commitment there into nutrition. We have an in-house nutritionist. We have a partnership with Herbalife. We, we provide supplements. We believe in it. We have a huge commitment to strength and conditioning. Um, we have a huge commitment to what we would refer to as the mental approach to how you're training, how you're playing. So those four pieces, the basketball piece of skill, the strength and conditioning, you know, agility, all the type of movement, the nutrition piece, and then the mental side. That's what really we, we, we pride our whole organization on. Now, 24 years ago, I was the director of each of those departments, right? <laughs> I, was a, I was schlepping around to nutrition shops, find, trying to find supplements. Now I, we put in an order for Herbalife and it's sitting in the gym. We have a huge display table, you know, where the guys, it's almost like a buffet. You know, I have a nutritionist who meets with the guys daily to, to monitor their energy levels there you know we have a body fat scale that's you know measures your body fat in in you know five minutes you know those type of things i was i was giving them a, oh you look like about eight percent you know 24 years ago so that part has changed a lot but but the the real focus i love getting these guys started i do they're, they're so clueless you know when they come in and they're all you know you get we got devon dotson from kansas ashton Hagen's from kentucky you know you get these big program guys in here the world has revolved around them for the past you know one year two year three years it's like, hey, welcome to the, you know, even the Arizona guys, Zeke, Josh, those guys. It's like, hey, this is an era. You're not in Tucson anymore. You know, nobody cares that, that you went to Arizona. So that's been a really cool. And again, having a son that age, I have a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old. And the 19-year-old is a was a player. So, you know, he, he just, it, it's really funny to, you know, Josh Green calls me 10 times a day. It's like, I don't know if it's him or my son calling me, you know, to ask for, Hey, what should I eat for breakfast? I was like, Oh man, you guys. So anyways, to answer your question, I still do love it. I, I really do. Yeah. It's, it's a great, I mean, we're, we're all fortunate to be working period right now with what's going on in the world. And, and we're happy to, to help these young guys get started uh, in their career. So it's very rewarding, you know, on draft night to see a guy get drafted and, and, and it's, it's even more rewarding to see a guy who didn't get drafted make a team. You know, that's, that's really an amazing piece that we, you know, Jeremy Lin was a guy we had. And Jeremy didn't even think he was an NBA player. But every day he battled against Avery Bradley and Lance Stevenson and Armand Johnson. That was his class. And he obviously did just fine for himself. So 
we have a great perspective for these young guys to be able to share with them, but they're a lot of fun. They're, they're, they're hilarious. You know, they're, they're kids, you know, now they have, now they're worried about their brand. You know, back when I had KG, if I would have said something about an Instagram picture, he would have been, he'd have thrown me in the trash can and stuffed the top on it. <laughs> so people say, you don't really film your workout. I said, you know what KG would have done to me if I would have filmed a workout. And put it on Instagram? <laughs> He's like, I mean, people didn't even like coming in the gym when KG was there because they were so scared that he would yell at him. Right. So um, it's a, it's, it's just a different, different world today. These, these young guys with their Instagrams and their photographers. And, you know, I just take it with a grain of salt and say, Hey, as long as we're getting our work done, we're good. If it starts interfering with our work, I'm going to have a problem with it, but go ahead and have your fun. Different. It's a different world, right? We do have to adjust a little. 100%. That's fantastic. Joe, I'll leave you with this. Was it, was it fun conversing with the Minnesota brass? I mean, I think they're good people. Gerson Rosas, Ryan Saunders, you enjoyed your, your time with them a couple weeks ago. We did. Yeah. Minnesota came in and, and Ryan, you know, so when, when, when KG was obviously playing up there, he spent a lot of time in Minnesota and Ryan was a, a kid in high school. He used to rebound for us. Really happy for Ryan. Great, great guy. Great young man. Gerson and I spent, did a lot of work together when he was at Houston. Um, he's a real believer in player development. As a matter of fact, uh, Chuck Hayes and a few of his other players, they sent to me and, and actually paid for them back in the day before the CBA was, was uh, changed. So we have, I have a deep history with, with both of those, you know, it's great to see Ryan, you know, what a, what a great job he's done. And, and as I told him, just really happy for him and, and how much he's accomplished. And I think that, you know, Gerson and, and even Joe Branch, you know, who I dealt with on the agent side, uh, he didn't come out on the trip, but, you know, seeing him, you know, talking with him over this process, Greg Farnham, who's, who, you know, me and Greg used to hang out and talk about Joe Smith's knee angle back in, you know, 2000, 1998 or nine, whenever Joe was up there and all the years with KG and really what Greg's accomplished in the athletic training world has been great. So, yeah, I, I love those guys up there and I'm really, really happy for all of them. And I think that they're, they're pointing in the right direction. So I told them, I said, look, if you ask me, if you want to win games, Halliburton's the guy you pick. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we promote our guys to an extent, but I'm not going to go crazy. I, this kid is, is a winner. So that's, that's the key. Joe, this was fun. Thank you for the education. Much appreciation. And let's certainly stay in touch. You got it. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Joe Abunasar, legendary NBA trainer. I'll tell you what, I mean, not just him. I mean, my sense is the Wolves really, really like Halliburton. The question is, do they have Halliburton ahead of Ball? Is Ball ahead of Halliburton? Is Edwards one? Is Ball one? Heck, is Halliburton maybe one on their board? I mean, I'll be fascinated to hear if I do, you know, the fallout after the fact. But make no mistake, I'm positive they like Halliburton. It's not just been random the last few weeks on this podcast or on Channel 5 or on Score North when I've brought up his name. I mean, my sense is they really like Halliburton. There's a lot to like about Halliburton. I mean, talk to the USA basketball folks when he played for them. They will just sing his praises. So many people like Halliburton. We'll know the answer soon enough. Wednesday night is the draft. Always appreciate you listening. This has been Scoop Podcast Episode... 321.